Hey, welcome to the show. Today I have a special guest, Patrick Riley of Reaper Financial. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you so much, Molly. Very much appreciate you taking the time. And one thing I'd love to to frame this whole conversation on is you own a business that runs on the XRP ledger. And we talk about XRP a lot on this channel. So it's pretty cool to actually see a use case being kind of implemented in the market. So Patrick, tell us a little bit about Reaper Financial and sort of your story that kind of brought you to the point of founding it. Yeah, sure. So Reaper Financial is basically a, a blockchain financial services company. We actually have three different tokens, so kind of a suite of services. Okay. And uh, initially, I, I joined cryptocurrency and, and started uh, with mining Bitcoin back in 2014. And, uh, you know, of course, the, the return wasn't there over the long long run. And uh, I uh, got into the 2017 bull market and, you know, I made some some good gains and some good mistakes. And uh, one of the things that really hit me was, uh, you know, the level of risk and more so that there was a lot of rug pulls out there. And I started thinking about solutions to those rug pulls and really how do you give a token that has nothing backing it value in return again? Uh, so the only ones that were really doing any kind of burning back then was uh, Binance with BNB and they were burning okay. from their own stock, but it, it had a positive effect on price and it, it was well received by the community. So I started considering what if I could do something that's basically burn as a service and uh, what Reapers started with is we, we minted 100 million tokens on the XRP ledger for RPR token. Okay. And we mint an additional 1 million tokens per month. We sell those onto the market. And with the proceeds generated from the sale, what we're able to do is go out and purchase other tokens voted on using a working blockchain voting mechanism. And our holders are voting what they want us to go out and buy and destroy permanently. So we're sending it to the burn address. We can do it with XRP tokens. We can do it with XRP itself. We can do it with Bitcoin, Ethereum, anything. Uh, so it's really inner ledger. And I, why, would, I just, why would you want to burn tokens? Like what's that all about? Exactly. So uh, because they all have, for the most part, they have a fixed total supply. So what we're doing is we're lowering the total supply while there's a equal or greater demand and that changes the price elasticity. So it over time is going to appreciate that asset because the demand is still there and there's just less available. So in that regard, we're, we're helping those tokens stay healthy in the market. Uh, so what we've we've got here coming up, and it's really our our big implement that's going to be what pretty much everything we do is going to hinge around. Okay, it is debt reaping. So we're moving into beta in about a couple of weeks here. Wow! And uh, what you'll be able to do is log into Reaper Financial, connect your Exum wallet, and with your uh, XRP ledger address, we'll know how many Reaper token you hold. So we read that just like the blockchain voting mechanism, okay. but then you're able to log into your bank account through Plaid API uh, and pull your liabilities to match up to your uh, ledger address. And now you're able to vote against your mortgage, your student loans, your car note, 
anything of that nature, and we'll be making ACH payments on your behalf to pay down your debts. So we're taking something that is completely, you know, right now everyone thinks cryptocurrency is funny money, but it, it as soon as we start this, we're taking something that's, you know, traditionally not connected to the regular financial system or to your physical life, and we're going to be connecting it. We're going to be making a very real impact on your day-to-day life, on your mortgage, on your car, on your student loans. Wow, that's fascinating. So let's break that down. So you have a native token to your business platform, but obviously Wells Fargo, whomever my loan is with, doesn't accept that token as payment. So how does it work? So basically when we sell the tokens for XRP with the 1 million uh, inflation per month, what we do is we take that XRP and we divide it against the number of votes and each vote has equal you know, voting power and it gets an equal percentage of the funds generated. Okay. And then we're going to send that through a payment processor from USDC. We're sending it through CirclePay and it's going out as an ACH payment to hit your accounts. So your account number and routing number for your, uh, your mortgage or your car or whatever it may be. So it's all converting into regular fiat and it's it's going out to pay down or reap your debt. Wow. Now, does this sort of function like a DAO where you have a group of people who vote on things? So everybody is voting. Every Reaper token is one vote and every vote has equal power and uh, every vote counts. So it's not like just the people with the most votes win. It's every single vote is a direction of a certain amount of funds. And currently it is admittedly somewhat centralized. There is a you know a core company that is running the distributions okay. and the, the security on the data and, and that type of thing. Our goal is within two to five years to fully automate the system and decentralize it so that it can run completely independent of the company. And then does a person who have has a, de- a loan or debt that they haven't paid off, do they sort of apply to have you and Reaper pay it off? How does that work? Nope. So there's no application process. You simply uh, have to own Reaper on a XM wallet. So you can log into our site and then there is KYC. And uh, on top of that KYC, when you pull in your uh, liability accounts, we do have all your personal identifiable information. So we know exactly who our customer is. And then you just vote in percentages towards those accounts and we will be sending out those payments. And then let's say I have a student loan that's like $100,000. I I have Reaper in my wallet. I go and you pay this off. Like, what am I giving you in exchange? You're simply holding your Reaper. And uh, actually, I'm paying you passive XRP for holding it. So how does Reaper make money with all of this generosity? That, that's a great question. So we actually only take a 1.5% operating fee from the sale of the 1 million tokens. And then we also started with a holding of 30% of the initial distribution of tokens. So because we're paying a passive income in XRP, we basically receive that passive income in XRP as well, based on our token holdings. Okay. So our motives and our our profit model is very much the same as the customers. Our incentive is completely aligned. However, we don't vote with our, our uh, developer wallet holdings. Got it. Super cool. Now, of all the blockchains you could have built this on, why did you pick the XRP ledger? 
Well, because it is far and above the best. Let's start there. But mainly the transaction fees and the speed. Three to five seconds with transaction fees far under a penny. So with Ethereum, the the cost and speed would be absolutely prohibitive for the blockchain voting mechanism. And it would make it very difficult for sending these um, transactions to uh, have a a proper time tracking of the vote and uh, very much the same thing with Bitcoin. And personally, I consider Bitcoin and Ethereum unsecured networks because the the mining proof of stake proof of work um, is vulnerabilities. And I consider XRP a much more secure network in general as as well as faster and more affordable. And do you see that a lot of other developers are attracted to XRP Ledger for the same reason? Is there is there a lot going on with building? Uh, so there's a lot of projects out there. There's probably about 7,000 projects actually built on the XRP Ledger, most of which are not on CoinMarketCap and are not well known. Uh, and it's still a very small uh, kind of niche market at the moment. Um, I would say out of those, only about 600 are very active. And just like the the macro market of cryptocurrency, you probably have about 20 high quality uh, projects out there that are are really innovating. And and then you have a lot of other things out there that are just doing memes and, and NFTs and right. you know your usual casual stuff. Now, as somebody who's invested not only time, but money into the XRP ledger, do you have concerns about the Ripple S lawsuit that if they were to lose, what would that mean for you? Yep. So we did submit a amicus brief in the Ripple versus, yeah. or excuse me, SEC versus Ripple Labs case. Um, so our position on that is essentially that the manner in which we are using the asset, it is property because we are able to purchase it. We own it free and clear and we're able to do with it as we choose. So we can buy XRP and we can burn it. And the company of Ripple has no say in that. They have no ability to stop us. Um, so it's similar to if I were to go out and buy a car and you know drive it off a bridge. I, I haven't done anything to damage the uh, the company that made that car. Okay. So it, it's definitely a product. And the other side to that is we're also using it for voting on the blockchain which means that it's a software, a distributed ledger. So it's pretty much like a Google Docs. You know, multiple people can go into that Google Docs and input information. That doesn't mean that Excel and, and Microsoft Word when shared through Google Docs are, are a security. So we did publish our amicus in support of, of Ripple. Uh, if under... Uh, under an extreme circumstance, Ripple were to lose the case, we would first uh, consider relocation out of the United States if necessary. Okay. Um, however, I will say that uh, the SEC in their response to uh, all of the amicus briefs specifically cited, I think it was uh, note 42, that uh, their case against Ripple had absolutely nothing to do with uh, Reaper Financial and that it was just crazy that we would suggest such a thing that their case might affect other assets. Uh, So we would have some legal recourse in in that regard as well. As a developer on the XRP Ledger, do you think that the lawsuit has slowed down or hindered adoption of that platform? Just do it here. 
Absolutely. It has, uh, it has become quite a echo chamber within the XRP ledger itself. There's, there's many people in the projects, but it's very difficult to bring new people into that community. I'm, I'm hung up a little bit on the fact that you just told me that you're burning XRP. So not everyone watching this knows this, but Patrick and I met because we're both on Jimmy's confidential committee, specifically the one tied around valuation of XRP. And the work we've done is we're not ready to share all of it yet, but the valuation in the long term of XRP is pretty high. So the fact that you're burning it, is like, how would you address someone who has a long-term, very optimistic view about the value of XRP that you're like literally like throwing gold in a dumpster. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of why I'm on the valuation committee is because the supply and demand factors with a fixed market. And, and that's kind of my my big interest in it is that I, I understand that reducing the supply actually increases the price. And actually, most people don't know this, but you are burning XRP every time you send a transaction. Uh, okay. So your transaction fees are actually being uh, burnt or reaped themselves. Uh, so us doing that, we're basically what you have is you have a, a pizza, right? So the pizza is the whole of all the XRP or, you know, all the money, if you want to put it that way in the, okay. the valuation committee. Now, right now it's cut into a hundred billion pieces and that's, you know, all of the XRP. If we reduce that and we only cut the pizza into 50 billion pieces, you still have a whole pizza. So the value is still there, but each slice of pizza is now larger and more valuable in and of itself. So you think for XRP specifically that this total count of supply doesn't really matter. It's what matters is the value that it represents. Yeah. So that's that's basically the way I think of it is that uh, you know, the fraction of your ownership of the total supply of XRP is your fraction of ownership of the total supply of all the money. Okay. And have you burned a lot of XRP, like millions? No, no, not yet. So we, uh, in our first year in 2022, and I'm about to put out our annual report, which is not required because I'm not a security uh, company. But uh, we will be putting that out. We've burnt uh, over 620,000 XRP worth of other uh, of various tokens and about 337,000 US dollars worth of tokens in 2022. Wow. Um, let's talk about the buyback committee for a second. So what what was it that interests you to investors for time in participating in it? Uh, so first, the the interest is the the minds involved in it. So there's many very smart people in, involved in the committee, and I I am always happy to have an intellectual conversation with people who are willing to go out on a limb and really dive into a theoretical idea. And I I think that uh, in and of itself is is time well spent. Uh, at the same time, for me, it, it's a understanding of the United States government and, uh, you know, macro geopolitical uh, socioeconomic forces that are working not necessarily in the favor of the individual sovereign person. Okay. So in the past, the government has seized private property, uh, Executive Order 6102, in which they seized gold and made it illegal to own and possess. Um, 
And I, I don't put a lot of faith in the government to do the right thing by the people. So if there is a way for me to plan and support um, you now the individuals so that they come out better off than they otherwise would have, then I want to be a part of it. Do you think there is a possibility that governments around the world could nationalize XRP, which is forced buyback? I do. I, I think it's very much uh, a possibility, especially for the West, starting with the United States. If they were to declare it as security, they could either say that only accredited investors can have it, or they could simply make it illegal, as they did with gold. Um, a lot of a lot of people underestimate just how made up on the spot the rules can be when it comes to government, and they basically do what they want and get away with what we allow. Well, enough's enough. Yep. Time to stand up for it. Now, one of the main beliefs of the buyback committee is that the XRP ledger will be the dominant platform to move all the value of the world. So how did you come to agree with that? Yeah, so I, I think that's really from my understanding of Bitcoin and other tokens out there in the market. So Bitcoin itself will never be a global reserve currency. It simply cannot function in that role. Um, for the, the reason of the mining, you cannot have you know two or three different superpowers around the world spending hundreds of billions of dollars on their military and not attacking you know, the Bitcoin network as a means of devaluing currency in a foreign nation. Uh, it would not take that much uh, financing or computing power for China to say, turn on, uh, you know, $200 billion worth of ASICs. And suddenly they've decided, okay, every Bitcoin that's coming from these IP addresses through the, the five undersea cables, we know all connect to the North America grid. Um, we're going to turn those off and we no longer recognize that Bitcoin as part of the network. And guess what? They, they've just destroyed the economy. So that's just strategically not feasible. It's never going to happen. Bitcoin doesn't fill that role. It's too slow. Uh, many other problems, but mainly for a security reason. Uh, for proof of stake with Ethereum, you have multi many of the same issues. Um, but when we talk about XRP and what what XRP is capable of three to five seconds. And then we look into the potential of quantum computing coming in the near future. Uh, XRP can convert to, to quantum relatively easily in ways that Bitcoin and Ethereum cannot. And as we go interplanetary, once Elon Musk puts a, a colony on Mars and we have those things to deal with, uh, it's three minutes uh, light speed at optimal conditions between Earth and Mars. So if you were to separate that for mining um, between Earth and Mars, basically that means that the two financial systems could not really talk and be connected. And inevitably that means that one becomes subservient to the other and a second-class citizen in, in the financial world. And well, that leads to a war so uh whether it's 100 or 200 years down the road i'm pretty sure that's not what elon or anyone else wants so uh we have to have something better and it's xrp so i love that you brought up this interplanetary topic which is fascinating because you know my whole life i always saw that stuff is very futuristic like generations from now and you know watching the alien movies that took place in like you know 
2200. Do you think we're going to have this interplanetary travel in our lifetime? Absolutely. Wow. Uh, just a hundred years ago, we were barely getting the, uh, the Orville right, uh, you know, biplanes off the ground. Uh, within our lifetimes, we will be an interplanetary species. I have zero doubt. Will you be an early adopter and hop on one of the first opportunities? Sure. Sure. So I mean, one topic that I have covered in this channel is whether or not either XRP or XLM could be used as a galactic currency. What are your thoughts on taking payments if you had a job working on Mars? Yeah, so I, I think that's very possible. Now, there's probably still going to be CBDCs built on top of the XRP ledger, and the XRP okay. itself will be the bridge between those different uh, CBDCs. And maybe there's there's going to be some sort of Mars uh, currency. You know, if it, Elon has anything to do with it, it might be Dogecoin. Who knows? But um, that's that's very much a realistic possibility. Um, the way that quantum computing works is, you know, basically quantum entanglement, spooky action at a distance, and you're entangling two atoms so that what's happening to the rotation of an atom on Earth is happening to the rotation of the atom on Mars. Uh, without time and space between them. So basically you're reading the uh, orientation of the north and south pole of, of one atom and that's going to give you your your ones and zeros or your um, you know your angle of that one and zero to give you multiple data points. And by you know moving one, you're moving the other and that's how you're going to transfer data between interplanetary for something like, XRP that's already you know all pre-mined and very fast. That's a very doable um, integration. Kind of related to that, there's a rumor or belief. I'm not sure what exactly how you describe it that the XRP ledger can run without the internet. And I can't haven't really figured out how that works. Is this sort of related to what you're talking about with this interplanetary idea? Um, I mean, I think that would definitely be a, a leap of a order of magnitude in technological ability for the average person. Um, can XRP work without the internet? Sure. Uh, can everybody, can average Joe uh, transfer XRP without the internet to another average Joe right now? No. Okay. Got it. I'm excited for my Jetsons car, by the way, because that is also <laughs> part of this idea with space travel. Uh, all right, let's talk a little bit about quantum computing. That's sort of another one of these ideas. Sounds very fancy, but what do you think would change for all of us when quantum quantum computing becomes prevalent? So most people really just don't uh, grasp the quantum computing aspect of how it actually works. Uh, so right now, our our legacy computing systems of binary code are actually much more reliable, uh, whereas current quantum computing is ninety. 99% accurate, but that one to 2% is really problematic when you're talking about sending um, different types of information. So there's some uh, evolution that still needs to happen in that in the public sector as far as what we'll be able to uh, do. And as far as security and how it affects it, the person you know who is just a user, the end user, uh, they don't care how it works. They just want it to work. Um, okay. And I think for the most part, that'll, it won't feel any different to them and it'll just be a seamless transition. 
Interesting. So it really just affect the back end of how businesses that run using networks will operate. Interesting. Yeah. I won't have my own personal Apple quantum computer. <laughs> oh, I, I would say within 10 to 15 years, oh. we'll all have quantum telephones, quantum computers, right. but it won't feel much different than than current computing to us. Got it. Uh, well, one topic I'd love to talk about in this channel, and it's purely going to be a question about your sort of speculation about the future. So we like to talk about the future of money and mm. how that will change. So describe for me what you think in the year 2030 money will be like for all of us. Completely digital. I think that cash will be something you can buy at a uh, antique roadshow or at a, um, you know, a pawn shop and it'll be framed or, you know, it'll, it'll be basically a novelty, but not something that's really accepted or uh, carried anywhere. Okay. So I do expect by 2030 we'll be fully into, excuse me, uh, CBDCs and those CBDCs for different, you know, sovereign nations all bridged by XRP. Um, that will probably be very much, you know, either on your phone or on a different augmented device. Uh, potentially, you know, I don't think Neuralink adoption will come quite that fast, but I think there will be other um, implements that uh, will replace phones within the next 10 to 15 years. So I don't yet know exactly what that will be. You're referring to something like a microchip type idea where you'd have an uh, implant? So I know Facebook and a few other companies have already been working on contact lenses that are an augmented oh. reality and okay. uh, connected devices. So I don't know how far away we are from something of that nature, but uh, um, you know, of course, there's going to be a lot of pushback. There's a a large sector of society that is not a fan of a a um, integrated human with machine devices, right? Or getting chipped, as they say. Right. Uh, so I think in that regard, we split into two camps. Uh, not that we aren't already, right? But um, <laughs> we'll very much see two different camps emerge in the adopters of that technology and those who are virulently opposed to it. Do you think there's any legitimacy to concerns about transhumanism? I think there is always legitimacy to concerns. Um, so I am kind of a fan of Elon Musk and Neuralink. And I'll also say that he's putting us on a, uh, a very thin ice, uh, dangerous grounds by doing so. Um, within, you know, uh, I, I like to phrase it this way is that the the nuclear bomb was uh, redeveloped in the 1930s and Oppenheimer uh, you know we still had horse and carriage and uh, AM FM radio and fax machines were a common thing so it was a very common um, a, a very low technology time right when we right, developed okay. the, the nuclear bomb the atom bomb so now in today's day and age, when we have 1024 read-write capability directly to your brain with Bluetooth or Wi-Fi capability, uh, CRISPR-Cas9 induced hyperthymesia, so you could basically do an instant memory recall of anything you download. Um, so a person with that capability is now basically a nuclear threat um, because anybody that has this technology installed can access an entire library they can download that library and if they have good intentions 
great. If they have bad intentions or uh, don't value human life, they could do a lot of damage very easily. And that's sort of, I think, related to the concern that many people have about some forms of CBDCs. I mean, obviously, banks can send money to each other using wholesale CBDCs, which none of us really have concerns about. But when it comes to the retail CBDC, essentially programmable money, where my ability to buy things could be uh, controlled by some third party, do you see that as a reality in 2030? So that is the Chinese model with the, the digital yen is they've made it so that sometimes it is expiring and they've also used it with social credit systems to control their um, populace ability to spend on certain things or deny them the ability to travel. Um, so that is a very scary scenario. Um, my concern is with governments, they'll always you know start with an inch and eventually you've given up everything. Uh, it's not a mile. They, they want everything and they'll keep taking until they're um, you know put back on their butt. Uh, so in, in this case, I, I do see the the Fed now app and the US CBDC rolling out this year um, and it will probably be relatively mild and, and unintrusive. Uh, what I'm worried about is how it looks 20 to 50 years from now. Right. I mean, Augustus Carson's of the BIS is on video quite giddy about the idea that they can program what you're allowed to buy. Uh, so I'm not sure if it's just oh. certain countries. Uh, so what do you think, just curious, like if citizens across the world are now aware of how CBDCs could potentially be used against us, is there anything we can do to avoid that dystopian scenario? Uh, they're going to get away with everything we allow them to get away with. So being educated and aware is, is one part of it. Um, unfortunately, there's a whole section of the population that is more than happy to know nothing um, and just continue on with their lives as long as they you know, get to go to work, come home and watch Netflix all night. Um, so why do that, you think that is so? Why are some people comfortable in that? Uh, complacency. It, it really boils down to complacency of people thinking that they don't matter in the grand scheme of things, when in reality, every single person is having a massive effect on the whole of humanity. So if we collectively woke up, we would be a force to be reckoned with? Absolutely. I agree. Let's talk about the buyback again for a second. One of my... Um, things I find fascinating about it, I'll even admit it goes as far as guilty pleasure, is watching how people get so upset, almost irrational, even discussing the topic. Have you noticed that? Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I know we both noticed that and sometimes in the same chats with uh, Mr. Hamilton, uh, not to be confused with the Hamilton Project, but... Uh, <laughs> Why do you think that's the case? Why does this topic get people so fired up? Well, I think it's a significant uh, cognitive dissonance for most people. They're comfortable in what they think they know right now and to challenge what they've considered as stable data in their life. Um, they, they are immediately, it's a fight or flight response. They're going to either run away from that information because they're afraid of knowing it, or they're going to fight back violently against that information. Um, in, in Matt's case, I think it's because he got dumped from Ripple for running bots, and now he 
Fields uh, ripple hat can't be that great because if it is that great, he threw away the opportunity of a lifetime. But that's, you know, just just me analyzing him specifically. For other people, I would say it's it's probably more um, they don't want us to uh, tempt them with happiness. They they'd rather us not uh, give them hope because giving them hope hurts them because they're so used to being disappointed. And that is something I can relate to. And uh, it, I can I'll say to those people that, you know, don't want to be given any any light at the end of the tunnel. The only way you're ever going to get out of that hole that you're in is to start building yourself and researching yourself and finding out um, not not what's going to give you false hope, but how you get to what you're looking for in life. So let's say this is someone's watching this who really doesn't know very much about the buyback process and the history of it or whatever the um, project that we've been a part of. And they're like, wait, what is this? What is this? Someone's going to buy it back? Like, how would you describe kind of where we are right now with that whole process to someone new? Yep. So basically what the buyback committee is, is we've we formed a think tank and that think tank is working on a fair uh, market value and a true market value for XRP in the event that the government would come and try to confiscate it. Now, in 1933, when the government made gold illegal and confiscated it, it took it at $20 an ounce, and then it immediately after it pumped the price up to $35 an ounce, and you know today it's $2,000 an ounce, give or take. So what we're trying to do with the buyback committee is basically protect the public from an um, illegal seizure of goods and assets. Now, of course, uh, the main criticism that has a little bit of merit from that I'll hear out there is, okay, well, if they're going to seize your XRP, why would you take US dollars? Because um, the US dollar is basically worthless. And I agree completely, it, it is basically worthless. What we're trying to do is assign a value to say that if they come to try and take our XRP, we're going to make it so painful for them to attain victory that they're going to find another route. Uh, so I don't think anybody on the the confidential committee is hoping for that, you know, $50,000 in XRP. I think everyone on the confidential committee knows the value of their XRP and they want to protect it. And that's what it's really about. I think people also don't, they look at it very literally, like we are preparing for a government or a central entity like the IMF to come and approach us to buy it where what Jimmy's leading is this more proactive strategy to say, we're going to approach them first and see how they react and wake people up. Honestly, the analogies he's used, which I think makes a lot of sense, is how the Twitter acquisition happened, where Elon Musk made this offer to Twitter. Everyone was like, what? What's going on? It exposed a lot of nefarious activity on the board. Why are a lot of these people on the board? What are they doing on there? They're not actually making decisions that are in the best interest of Twitter. And it proceeded as quite a dramatic turn of events, if you were watching it, which I was very closely. Do you see any parallels between the Twitter acquisition and the XRB buyback strategy? Does that a good analogy in your book? Yeah, I, I do think it's a good analogy. So basically what we're doing is exposing the government and exposing the big players in their role in XRP. So 
anybody who is well-read or well-researched in the uh, SEC versus Ripple Labs case knows that this is not a arbitrary um, enforcement action and no illegal crime took place. This is basically a power grab by the SEC and they want the XRP, right? So they are already exposed and we're responding to that uh, in kind by saying, well, you're probably not going to get it and we see what you're going to try to do next. So we're going to move before you do. And I'm just curious what you think, if you had to predict or guess what the outcome of this buyback committee would be, what do you think is going to happen with all of our stuff? That, that's a good question. You know, honestly, I hadn't considered what I, I expect the outcome to be. Um, and I don't know that it's it necessarily matters. I, I typically focus focus on the development of the product more so than what the uh, the end result might be afterwards. Um, hmm. I, I gotta think about that for a second. I'll come back to it. I've just had some recent conversations where it's very likely that none of us have zero interest in actually selling, even in the event of an offer. Because what this would do is it would awaken everyone to the fair market value, which I'll put my video in the description, is not the value that is being traded on exchanges. That is a suppressed value. So it's a deal. The true mm. fair market value is likely substantially higher as the XRP ledger goes to move all the money around the world. And there's some pretty neat options for people who hold a chunk of this asset that could be used by other institutions. And that as we get ready to share some of these possibilities, I am gonna ask anybody watching this, like you're gonna have to expand your thinking because none of the models that we're talking or the outcomes we're talking about are anything you've ever heard of in your normal day-to-day -day life. We're going very futuristic, completely different type of banking models sovereignty that's an interesting discussion have you um heard about the movement to sort of declare your own sovereignty and become a state national so i i've heard of that now the problem with that movement of course is it it only works if it's recognized and respected um right. so i i think that there's value to that but it it would definitely have to be at a much larger um saturation of the population right. than what it's at now. Imagine if like 40% of the United States citizens, just for example, said, you know what, we're done. We are no longer employees of the corporation. We are going to be independent. Kind of cool. All right. Is there anything else that somebody curious about Reaper Financial should know or like what can people do to participate in the Reaper world? Yep. So the the other two products we have, I, I didn't really talk about yet, but the the second product is called Ascension and it's the, the life to Reaper's death. So Ascension goes out and purchases well-vetted uh, tokens off market and distributes them to Ascension holders. Uh, so it's actually 12 different tokens uh, currently that we're airdropping okay. to Ascension holders Uh both bi-weekly, but also with a option to stake and receive it daily. So daily passive income, which is also compounding. Okay. Uh, and it's actually seven layers of, of passive income in the Reaper ecosystem right now. 
Uh, so it's similar to a decentralized index fund or mutual fund in that we're basically selecting highly vetted projects and you're able to simply buy Ascension and by holding those other trust lines, now you're diversifying your portfolio. And uh, what we'll be doing here for phase two, and this is a bit of a spoiler and nobody uh, publicly knows this yet, uh, for phase two for Ascension, we'll be adding the capability to receive Bitcoin and Ethereum even, even though we don't like Ethereum around here, but it'll be on there. Uh, XRP and and other large uh, tokens. So okay. basically you'll be able to link your, your MetaMask or Atomic wallet to your uh, XM wallet, which holds your Ascension. We'll okay. read your balance and we'll send out um, passive income in, in Bitcoin and Ethereum and the other large um, stable money assets in the crypto sphere. Where can people get the Ascension token? It's also available on our, uh, if you go to our website, reaper.financial, okay. it's got all the links to Sologenic or any of the other DEXs and available on the uh, the same app, the XM, uh, XUMM app. And do people typically trade XRP for these assets? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So get yourself some XRP and then sell it. So it's hard for me to say out loud. Go and trade it for something. Like that. Cool. Yep. Anything else um, about Reaper that... Uh, so the third asset I do oh, want to talk a little okay. bit about. Uh, so the third asset is called ARC. And basically what we do is we have the blockchain voting system and it's applied to charities that are also highly vetted charities. All so right. the charities that make it through the 12 different gates, um, we then put them on the list and based on their votes, they get a donation every two weeks. Um, and then the people who are uh, voting for, by holding ARC token are also receiving passive income uh, with 50% of the funds generated. So that is a, a model that changes the dynamics of, um, changes the way we change the world, basically, because right now to uh, for a charity to raise money, they have to go out and spend money on fundraising. Right. And for a person to give, they're giving with generally nothing monetary in return they're damaging themselves to help somebody else uh, so this model completely changes that so now you can actually earn a passive income by helping charities super cool what's the long-term roadmap for repo where are you going uh all the way so okay. right Right now for uh, phase four with debt reaping rolling out very soon, we'll be moving right into phase five where we approach small businesses. So small businesses, 99.9% of all business in the US. Uh, so what that basically will be is we will teach them how they could use, for example, 10% of their monthly revenue into Reaper and then using that to reap their debts for that small business and that would widen their margins. So most oh. um, most small businesses live on two to seven percent margins and by simply snowballing Reaper with their revenue, they'd be able to increase that to as much as you know 20, 30 percent in a, a relatively short time and that would give them the ability to survive. The next pandemic shutdown or or the next uh, recession or depression or whatever it may be, it would be a significant help to them. Uh, so phase six, we'll be looking to pick up a bank or banking charter. Uh, and with that, we gain the ability to do uh, basically loans uh, that would have a reaper backing. So 
for example, a, a typical home loan is 120% of actual market value. And that 20% is usually for closing costs and other things like that. What we would be able to do is give a 120% where the 100% is purchasing the house. 20% is in Reaper to reap the mortgage that they just took. And we'd be able to go, um, you know, engage with homeless individuals who are ready to come off the streets. And basically we'd be able to give them a house and a passive income. Uh, so phase seven, we'll be approaching small countries to do something very similar to what we're doing for um, banking and for small businesses. Uh, with phase eight, we'll be looking at ways to relieve the tax burdens of those small countries. So for example, if a small country had a Reaper token holding large enough to handle $1 billion in debt, uh, then they'd be able to borrow that billion dollars. But if they're responsible and only spend 70% of it, they've still got 300 million left over at the end of the year. They can then purchase Reaper with that. And next year they can now borrow 1.5 billion because they've been responsible. They don't have to tax their citizenry uh, to be able to generate a larger D GDP for the next year. So that rearranges the entire financial system for those countries. And now they don't have to do any taxes. They don't have to rely on imports uh, and exports to try to generate enough revenue from a very small population that doesn't necessarily have the, the skill and labor force to build a big economy. So they can now attract foreign investors because it's tax free and they can really thrive as a, as a small nation. Uh, we do see a time where we become a servicing branch uh, parallel to the Federal Reserve and BRICS uh, because the Federal Reserve or FedNow or whatever CBDC ends up becoming uh, kind of the, uh, the standard in the future that you know works on the XRP ledger, they're still going to print it into oblivion. They're still going to inflate it and they're going to need uh, our product to reap that and to keep their inflation down and to get it under control. Uh, and we really see a, a point in uh, the next 20 to 50 years where automation and robotics and AI have replaced most of the workforce. And we're going to be in a society where really only 15 to 20% of people are able to go and find a job to, to work. Uh, so we do need something relatively similar to a universal basic income, but with the Reaper economic system, someone can basically work a few years out of their life, uh, saving up enough Reaper to then support their ability to borrow and to earn in the future. So we no longer need the same uh, workforce to have an, a society that thrives. So it will be what I like to call the next generation because I relate it to kind of the the Star Trek uh, model where money okay. exists, but nobody really needs it. Interesting. So how would people exchange? If you don't really use money, how do you have food and things like that? Well, so you'd still use it, but you just wouldn't really need it in the same way. Okay. It wouldn't be a, a thing that controls your life and the outcome of your life. You're not paycheck to paycheck, struggling with the grind type of thing. Mm -hmm. Got it. I think it's hard to imagine what an economy that's not centered around like labor. So, yeah.
Interesting. And do you think that's like, again, within our lifetime, we're going to see that kind of shift? I will definitely make it happen within our lifetime. Oh, wow. Wow, that's amazing roadmap. You have got a you're a busy guy. You got a lot to cover. And also I have some incredibly uh, expansive thinking. How can people follow you and keep tabs on what you're what's going on in your mind? Uh, so I am at Real Reaper CEO on uh, Twitter and okay. our uh, Reaper Financial is at the Reaper Coin. Um, okay. our, also our websites are reaper.financial and arc.institute. Okay. I'll put all those in the description for those of you who want to click. Well, thank you very much, Patrick. Any uh, parting words of wisdom for any of us? Uh, I, I'm trying not to say something sarcastic here. <laughs> oh, please. I love sarcasm. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I just going to say that 2023 is going to be a little bit rough and, uh, I want everybody out there to, uh, do what makes sense for you and your family and kind of batten down the hatches and be safe. Um, and at the same time, take calculated risks to, uh, you know, take advantage of the situation as it comes. Good advice. Thank you very much, Patrick. Thank you.